nice to be with you again tonight here in the lifeboat. Um, last week when we were along, we shared something of the call of God. And so I wanted to conclude tonight by perhaps reviewing a few of those things that we mentioned, but speaking of a few others. And really, if I was to say tonight what's the purpose in this particular gathering or meeting tonight is to hopefully to explain to you why I am a Christian. And secondly, some lessons, vital lessons that I have learned in my Christian life. Um, I'm not a Christian because I was brought up in a home where Christianity and the Bible were honored. I'm a Christian because I personally encountered Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian because the Holy Spirit entered into my life when I was 17, and I knew the change that occurred in my life. I remained a Christian over the past over 40 years now because of some of the things I'm going to share with you, but ultimately because I'm aware that the Lord Jesus Christ is alive and that I know every day that he lives inside me. And the hymn writer said, you ask me how I know he lives, and the reply is, he lives within my heart. And that's what makes a Christian, not the creed, not the tradition, not the religion, not the sacraments, not the baptism, none of those things make you a Christian. You can only become a Christian when Christ comes to live inside you, and that's by repentance for your sin and faith in Jesus Christ, in his death and his resurrection and ascension. And so that's the background upon which I want to share with you tonight. And I trust that it will be a stimulus to those who are Christians to encourage you to follow the Lord. Those who are not yet a Christian, I hope it'll challenge you to think about your own soul, to think about your own destiny because there is a great eternity that lies before us. And when life comes to an end, it doesn't cease to exist, it just changes. And we go into another dimension. And Jesus Christ spoke much of that dimension, and one is a glorious place called heaven, a place where many who we knew in the past and loved ones are there. And then tragically, there's another place called hell, which also exists and where tragically many fall into at the end of their lives. So we couldn't be speaking of more serious subjects or issues. And with that to mind, we're going to bow for a moment of prayer again and ask God for help. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here. We pray now, Lord, for the help and anointing of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you will cleanse me, sanctify me, and I pray, Lord, that you will put a hedge around us and grant that your spirit will come and speak on stop every ear, both of those who are present and those who will listen online, on stop their ears, that they may hear the voice of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I say before I commence, if there's any children, I see some folk have taken out little children, but if there are children in and they're a little bit noisy, if you could take them through to the crash. Um, there's facilities there to be better. And the reason I say that is because for others who have come and made the effort, it can be quite frustrating for people to try and listen 
uh, whenever little children are shouting and so on. So if you want to take them through, then they can, you can hear still all the meeting in the little crash at the back. So we don't want you to feel um, ostracized because you're not, but then we want to also consider others that have traveled a distance uh, to come. So please remember that. And uh, we're going to turn now in the Word of God uh, to the book of First Kings. And I just want to read this by way of introduction. First Kings in chapter 17, it's a very familiar passage of Scripture and a wonderful story in the Bible of the great prophet of fire called Elijah. First Kings chapter 17, and we're going to commence, please, at verse 1. First Kings 17, verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it came to be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Amen. And we know God will bless the public reading of his infallible word. Well, uh, to overlap a little from last week, and for those who are perhaps in for the first time, I became a Christian when I was 17. Prior to that, I was a churchgoer. I, was, I would have regarded myself as religious. I was baptized. I was uh, trained in the local church, and I attended it on a very regular basis. I went to Sunday school. I was involved in youth work and involved in the life of the church. But I didn't realize that I wasn't a Christian. I went to church, and other members of my family uh, got converted and began to become real Bible believing Christians. And it was through a period of time of seeing changes in their lives and beginning to hear more of the gospel that I realized that I needed to be saved. And so at 17 years of age, I heard the gospel preached. And it was then that I came under deep conviction of sin, and I realized that I wasn't right to meet God at all, and that if I died in my sin, even with all the religion that I had around me, that I wouldn't be in heaven. You see, I had believed that if I tried to be good, that God would bring me to heaven. But the Bible says, by grace you are saved. It is by faith, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. And after I became a Christian, I began to seek to follow the Lord. And uh, I was quite up and down. And then uh, a few years afterwards, I encountered God in, in another, a very, quite a radical way. And that had a profound effect on my Christian life. It didn't mean that I was um, any better saved than before. It simply meant that God became much more real to me. And the reason really for that was that after two or three years of being a Christian, I really truly committed my life to Christ. I give everything I had to God. 
And like all other young people, I had plenty of ambitions, plenty of things I wanted to do with my life. Uh, I felt the world was before me and I knew I was a Christian, but there was lots of things I wanted to do and wanted to achieve and wanted to attain and wanted to aspire to. But those weren't God's plans. And I had to learn by painful experience that what I want as a Christian isn't necessarily what God wants. And so I had to learn to come to the cross and to die to self and to ask the Lord to have his way. And if it meant taking away my desires so that his desires would come through, then I gave him permission and invited him to do that. And that led to quite a change in my life and began to experience more of the enabling of the Holy Spirit in my life in prayer and many other areas. I went to the Faith Mission Bible College for a period and come home. And of course, I had worked here in the early days in the lifeboat and then returned home. Uh, But some of the things that happened in my life from then on was that both as a Christian and subsequent to becoming a Christian and then seeking God more in my life, is that essentially like, like the prophet, although I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to equate myself with the prophet Elijah, but I'm simply trying to take a few lessons from the prophet and from the word of God, is that in the life of the prophet, we see that he had, uh, he, was, he was in a culture, he was in a nation, he was in a time when the nation was turning away from God. And throughout my Christian life, I have watched as this culture, this country, this place that is my home, my country, I have watched it steadily and progressively turning away from God. I have watched it departing from the most basic truths of the Bible. I've watched a society which, as a child, that it used to be every person virtually went to a place of worship that now virtually nobody goes. What a, what a negative transformation has occurred in our country. And we have lived through that. And it's very hard as a Christian, knowing what God desires and what God wants for a people, to watch them doing the opposite. It's, it's so hard to see your country and your countrymen turning away from what is right and truth. It's a very painful thing. And even the psalmist could say, he said, Mine eye runneth down because they keep not thy law. He watched in pain as he, per, he just witnessed uh, the people around him forsaking God. And, and that's where we are. Elijah was like that. Elijah was in a nation that had turned itself back from God. It had turned to Baal. It had overthrown the worship of Jehovah. And Elijah felt that. Elijah felt that. There wasn't a day in his life as a young man seeking God, knowing God in his life, that he didn't feel the pain that was in the heart of God. Because God is grieved when a people turn away from him. In fact, it says, uh, just prior to the passage that we have read regarding Ahab, who happened to be the king of Israel at that time, it said, and, and Ahab reared up the altar of Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove 
And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all other kings of Israel that went before him. You know, we live in a society today that doesn't believe really in the existence of God. And there's one thing worse than being an atheist, and that is proclaiming that you believe in God and live like an atheist. In other words, you live as though God doesn't exist. You live as though you'll never give account to him. You live as though your sin is not an issue to him. And that's where we are today. Just as this king raised up these godless and wicked uh, uh, entities to replace the worship of God, so new forms of worship were created with his wife Jezebel. And they, of course, in essence, were just what has been raised up in our culture and our country today. You look at today, for example, the um, issue of abortion. In the Old Testament, there was a god called Moloch. Moloch was, was a demonic god that the people brought their children to, and for a variety of reasons, the children were sacrificed. They were burned. And as they were burned, then bands played around and people squealed so that nobody would hear the child screaming, and the children were burned alive. What I find fascinating in regard to that is, and I'll mention it a little later in testimony, is that very often I have prayed with mothers who have, who have had abortions. And very often a demon spirit will rise in those mothers, a demon, and it'll come up and speak. It's not the mother, it's the demon in the mother. And do you know what the demon's called? Moloch. It's the same God. There's nothing new about abortion. Friends, it's just simply the murder and sacrifice of children to Satan. In essence, that's what it is. The secular world may laugh at it, but let me tell you, that's exactly what it is. It is the shedding of innocent blood. Eir, E-I-R-E, the name of Ireland. The goddess of Ireland was Eir. She's still named. That goddess over the island of Ireland could only be placated and kept happy by the blood of her son. Blood had to flow in Ireland for air. Has any country had as much blood shed as Ireland? Do you think it's just because of Republicans and Unionists? My friend, behind all of that, there are powers unseen that drive these different ideologies, and they're very wicked. And they long for the shedding of blood. Then we have the gay marriage. As sexual revolution takes place and people say, we're advancing. As Naomi Long says, we're, we're making progress. No, my friends, we're regressing. We're going back to the base, to the defiled, to the perverted, to the demonic. That's where we're going. Again, let me say from experience, not theory. On numerous occasions, I have prayed with people 
who had indulged in homosexual behavior and homosexual relationships. On each occasion, when I prayed with them, a demon rose in them. It spoke. It was not the person. It was an entity within the person. What was the name of that demon? Homosexuality. Once a culture removes God, the vacuum will be filled with another power. And it's not a holy power. Now, don't get me wrong. I feel sorry for the people who are victims of this demonic power. And we should feel sorry for them well and pray for them. Just as Paul did in Corinth, which was an equally immoral and debased and wicked city and region. But he said of the people who were adulterers, homosexuals, whatever they had done, he said to the church in Corinth, such were some of you, but now are ye washed. Now are ye sanctified. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. Well, there's much preparation goes into a life, as it did in the life of Elijah. And when a person is truly called of God, God has much to do with that life. And it has always been in New Testament, Old Testament, and church history. Lives are shaped and formed for God's great purpose. When you give your life unconditionally to God and keep it on God's altar, God will begin to shape you. He will begin to transform and change you. He will dig into areas of your life you didn't think he would. Other areas you thought he might dig into, he may not touch. But God will shape the vessel, and the vessel is shaped painfully painfully. It is not for the faint-hearted to follow the Lord. I love the words of uh, Noel Grant, the little hymn. Most of the older folk know it. And where he says in the second, second stanza of Go Through With God, he said, the price is high, severe the test. For those who would enjoy God's best, surrender all and take the road with those who will go through with God. Well, when a person is called by God, they get a burden from the Lord. It's not created by them. It's not to do with their intellect. It can't be created by much Bible study, although it can be nurtured by Bible study, but it comes from God. It's what the old prophets called the burden of the Lord. And as I said, you can't create it. It is supernatural. It is planted in the heart by God. Such was the case of Elijah. God granted him a burden, and he couldn't shake it off. He had to do what God wanted him to do. And dear friends, we live in a day when, when we need to see young men and women receiving the burden of the Lord. They need to encounter the Holy Spirit in their personal lives in such a way that they cannot but follow the Lord. They cannot but pursue him with all their lives. Nothing else anymore can hold their attention. Nothing more can hold or grip their personality. The love of money, the love of things, the love of fame, 
the love of position, the love of power, all these things, legitimate and strong impressions that have taken sadly many Christians who could have been used by God, but at the end of their lives, they have blown it because they did live for other gods. They did give their hearts to the world. So this man was burdened and he ever carried the word of the Lord. I love it the way that whenever he, he came into contact with Ahab, this ruler of the nation, he didn't bow to him. He didn't acknowledge or recognize him as some great leader over the nation, but rather because the burden of the Lord was on Elijah, Elijah confronted him. And if you're truly called of God to honor God and his word, you will know his word, you will know his burden, and you will be in confrontation with the world. You will be in confrontation with the establishment. You will be in confrontation often even with the church itself because of those things that grieve the Lord and have been placed on your heart by the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what happened to Elijah. And so we find this man in confrontation. One of the things that occurs, I was speaking to Stephen just before the prayer meeting there, one of the things that was wonderful, and I attribute it to continually following the Lord after 40 years, is that after my conversion, I began to attend a prayer meeting. And that continued for a few years. Now, the prayer meetings maybe weren't as good as they could be, but some of them were good. But I had a desire to pray. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of prayer and supplication. And so it's not that you should go to the prayer meeting. It's simply that you should have the desire to go. And if you don't have the, if I didn't have the desire, and I'm not here to, I don't know who you are or where you are spiritually, most of you. I'm not here to, to, to try and throw anything at you. I'm simply pointing out something. If I didn't have a desire for prayer, I would know there was something wrong with me. I would know there was something spiritually wrong with my life. Uh, and I don't claim to be a prophet nor son of a one. But I did have a desire to go to a prayer meeting, and, and not so much the church ones, but the ones that were in homes that were held were very important to me. And it was through fellowship with Christians and older Christians that, that helped me, and we just learned as we dawdled along. Then whenever I encountered God in a deeper way about three or four years after conversion, it was then that I began to consistently enter into prayer meetings that I would call spirit-filled prayer meetings. And I'm thankful to God that since that, right up to the present, I have the privilege every week of being in what I call spirit-filled prayer meetings. Prayer meetings where God comes down. Prayer meetings where the clock goes out. Prayer meetings where you never know what's going to happen. You just never know what's going to happen because God's there. There was an old man... His name's Desmond Canaway. He was a great character. There's a few here would have remembered him. Desi had a great ministry in prayer. And you know, he used to say when I was a young preacher in the prayer meetings, he said, Alan, you know, there's only maybe eight or ten of us in this prayer meeting. And he said, we've met together for years. 
But he said, did you ever notice none of the prayer meetings are the same? He says, when God comes to a prayer meeting, even you have the same people, same location, same hymn book, same Bible, it's always different because God turns up. And God does different things. God burdens people in different ways. God's presence comes down and, and settles on the people, and the people are unable to move, and God communicates to our hearts. He burdens us. So many things happen when God turns up. And so I'm so pleased over the years that I have had the privilege, and that has helped me to maintain following the Lord. Because when you get out of the place of prayer, the danger is that you lose your foundation and your bearings. And the call of the world and the love of money and the cares of the world, they become bigger. And what happens is they can come in a tsunami to you and you're suddenly swept away. And that happens, people. They're swept away from the church. They're swept away from the presence of God, swept away from the people of God. And there's so many I think of as my mind here tonight in this pulpit, as I think of the early days of the lifeboat, so many young people I knew that were so bright, and today I know they're far from God, and that, that frightens me. That frightens me because that could be me. And so I'm grateful for those prayer meetings. And I encourage you, friend, if you don't go to prayer, you need to get back to prayer. You need to get back to personal prayer before God, and then you need to you need to get back to corporate prayer as well, just like the New Testament church. And so prayer was a wonderful thing. And then, of course, we read in this passage that when, when this man had obeyed the Lord, the Lord told him then he was to go after declaring the word of the Lord. The Lord said, now, that's your ministry over for a while. And one of the things you learn about serving the Lord is that you're not the boss. You're not the boss. You see, I think of Samuel Brengel of the Salvation Army, and I, love, I often think of it. He said, you know, in, in his great ministry, and he was wonderfully used by God, but Brengel said, you know, I'm just at the end of the day, I'm just like an axe or a hatchet. Unless somebody lifts me, unless somebody sharpens me, unless somebody swings me, I can do nothing. And what you learn in the Christian life is it's only the times when God lifts you, when God sharpens you, and when God swings you, things will happen. Because at those points, you're workers together with God. You know, friends, it's not a matter of saying, is God on my side? It's a matter of saying, am I on God's side? And that's a choice we have to make as Christians. Am I on God's side? Am I falling in with the Lord, even in a nation and a country that is so godless and is so wicked, and its people so wicked? And the answer is that, yes, it's not, a, it's not a matter of who's in the majority. I think it was, I don't know if it was Martin Luther or one of the great Zwingli, one of the great reformers, he said, he said, if the world is against me, and I have the word of God, the will of God, and the call of God. Then he said, I am against the world. And that's a lovely way to be. Because one with God is a majority. You see, if you know in your heart that God is in you and that you're doing his will, 
then you can feel so secure, just as Elijah did. He could take on the head of government in a nation. And by his prayers, he brought that nation to its knees. He said to the king, there'll be no water and no rain until I say so. That's wonderful whenever you're going with the word of the Lord. Now, there's no point in going out every day and saying, well, I'm going to go to every country and say there'll be no rain because it's not going to happen. It only happens when you're saying what God has said. You're only carrying through what the Lord has communicated. So it's so important that we're workers with God. We don't run ahead of him or lag behind him, but we hear from him, and then we proceed to proclaim and to carry out what God has brought into our hearts. These are wonderful reasons why I'm a Christian. But here's one I think, and usually it has, a, it has an impact on people today in a secular world, a religious world, but a world where God is not real. You see, when I was a young Christian, I heard the testimony uh, of Marie McCarroll. You had Marie here. I'm not going to what she shared when I was a young Christian, but oh, it impacted me. I remember hearing her story, story and saying, I began to wonder, was I even a Christian when I heard of the things that God was doing for Marie McCarroll? And I come away and I said, Lord, am I a Christian? I knew I was. I said, Lord, it must be possible to know you in a deeper way. And of course, it is possible always to know God in a deeper way. And so I went to Bible college, as I said, come home, broken health as a result, coming home. And it was at that time, as I stated last week, that I invited the Lord and said, Lord, would you, at 22, three years of age, whatever it was, Lord, would you please provide for me? Would you, would you look after me financially? Would you, would you meet my need just the way you did for Elijah? Would you do that for me, Lord, because... I would like you to confirm to me that you really have called me. I would like to be sure that I'm really in your will, because that's very important to me. You see, there are four signs of a person being filled and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, listen carefully. Not, a, not just a Christian, but being filled with the Holy Spirit. There are four general signs. Number one, you live a holy life. That's a life separated unto God. Secondly, the will of God is the primary thought in your life. There's nothing as important. All other things may have their, you know, importance, but nothing is as important. Am I doing God's will? That's a sign of a spirit-filled life. The third one is that you become a man or woman of prayer because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of prayer and supplication. And the fourth thing is that you're easy lived with. If you see a Christian that's contentious, fighting, awkward, wanting to get to the courts all the time with you, they might be many things, but they're not spirit-filled. They're not spirit-filled. The nature of Jesus will be in the life. Okay, I came home, I asked God, would you provide? And God amazingly did that. As I began to recover in my health, God began, it didn't take much to keep me. Really, it didn't. But it, it happened. And that was way back in 1988. And as I said last week, to the glory of God, to this very night, I have never had a salary. 
Nobody knows my finances, only my wife and God, no one else. And yet, in all those years and decades, God has never failed. Now you say, well, that's very interesting. So here's what I want to do, and I want to do this tonight. I want to bring to you some illustrations, that is, some stories of things that God has done in my life. And I do it tonight to His glory. I do it tonight to convey to you who are in the meeting and those who are listening online. I want you to know that God is alive. I want you to know that you can trust God. I don't have problems with atheists. I find them tragic people and in somewhat almost amusing because I know that God exists. I know he exists. And that's why I think that God, you know, it, 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 it's like the way God deals with the atheists. What he says is, he just, just a few sentences. He doesn't go into big arguments or debates, although I think it is worthy to do that. The great, great Irish or Armagh professor, John Lennox from Armagh, does a wonderful work, wonderful servant of God, been so blessed through his ministry. But God says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. <laughs> that's all God says. You're a fool. And so they are. But they need God. Well, after I met my wife and we got married, that's a big story, but I'll not go into that tonight. But just let me say that to some of you young people, just in passing, you young people. When I was in Bible college, we had a wonderful uh, 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 principal called, the, he was the late Dr. Colin Peckham. He used to come and preach here occasionally, and his wife, Mary, was saved in the Lewis Revival. And Colin used to speak to us as students in Edinburgh. And one of the things that he said that really stuck with me as a young man in those, in those, in those uh, lectures was, he said, when I was a young man, I said, Lord, I would love to be married, but I want someone who is going to help me to serve you, help me to go after God. If I marry a woman who doesn't love the Lord, I'll never be able to follow the Lord or fulfill his will. I need someone who's going to be with me. And so, Lord, I pray, give me a wife full of the Holy Ghost or don't give me one at all. I thought that was a brilliant prayer. I thought that was a brilliant prayer. And after that, that was all I ever prayed. Lord, give me a wife full of the Holy Ghost or give me not one at all. And God was so kind. He did give me one full of the Holy Ghost. And my wife is my greatest supporter, my greatest helper, my greatest mentor, my greatest encouragement. She endures so much. And even at times, what I'm going to share now, as mothers uh, at times of financial crises, it's always harder for a mother rearing a family when things are difficult in the home. And my wife, I have to say, endured far more than any other woman I know could have endured. And never once did my wife say to me, I regret the work. I regret what you've done. Never once. Although many times she wept in bed. Many times through the trials we had to go through. And so I say to you young people, look for someone full of the Holy Spirit. And God will hear your cry. Well, after we got married, we went to live in Lisbon. And we were just simply living by faith, as they say. We're just trusting the Lord. 
And one of the first trials came, and I'm going to give you three or four stories tonight just to, as I said, encourage you to believe and know that God exists. And what happened was we had a few bills, rent somewhat, it wasn't a big house, and so we had to, but no money was coming in. So that helps your prayer life immensely, I can tell you. And sometimes you actually turn to fasting. Not that you choose to fast, but you just find that the appetite doesn't tend to be there for food whenever you owe money and you can't pay it. So uh, we went into uh, much prayer, and we were beginning to learn about trusting God. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he said, everything you need in life will be added to you because your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. Even the hairs on your head are counted, Jesus said. God has such intimate knowledge of our lives, such detail. He knows it all. And so uh, on one occasion, we found ourselves in a difficult spot. And what I did was I, it was my first kind of big step of faith being married. And so I took the bills and I wrote out the checks, knowing that there was nothing in the account. And so I wrote the checks and I, I uh, filled in the details. And the day came whenever I had to post them. And I can remember walking to the post box to post them. And I prayed as I walked, Lord, uh, make sure that either these go, you know, some postman misreads it and it goes all around Australia and America and everywhere it can go. Lord, it's in your hands, but I'm praying or I pray that, that Lord, the person who gets it, they'll drop it on the floor and it'll, a child will lift it or whatever. But Lord, there's nothing in the account. Your honor, Lord, is at stake. I'm, I'm putting you to the test, Lord, with your own promises. And it's very real to me. And so I'm putting you to the test. And when I posted those letters, I came back up home and I said to my wife, well, it's do or die. And a short time later, a man came to our home. He had fallen off a ladder, I believe. And it turned out he had actually broke a bone or two maybe in his back. But that man arrived at my home on his way to the hospital, if I remember rightly. And I said to him, I knew him, I said, what can I do for you? And he said, I'm, I have fallen. And he was quite bent over at the time. He said, I'm not in great shape. I said, you don't look good at all. I'm on my way to the hospital. But he said, God told me to come and give this to you. And that man who I have to say often, if it had been me, I think I would have just went to the hospital and forgot about giving anything. But he, he obeyed God and he came to our home just at the right time and what was in that check covered all the bills that were outstanding. That was a great provision. And my wife from Scotland, we'd done a bit of a highland fling in the kitchen as we saw that God, God had come through for us. That's a wonderful thing, my friend. Do you know what the Bible says? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I used to think that just meant that when you got to heaven, you would see God. But I have learned in my Christian life that in life, in your home, you can see God and you can have highland flings in your living room as God comes through for you. And so uh, we traveled on. The day came whenever we moved house and we arrived in, in a place called Ahali. We lived there, it's a long story, but we got into a home. We knew God's guidance. 
But what happened was a very similar thing. And what we learned was, was that God would try you, and it was like God would try you. He would bring you to a level, to a precipice, and he would test you on that level, and he would keep dropping you, and he would, you know, you'd fall to that, and you would just hit a ledge and think, oh, thank God, I've hit that ledge. God's there. He's come through. But then as we grew in faith and as we kept following the Lord, what we discovered was that God would let us drop further. You know, the ledge that you thought was the last ledge, suddenly that was gone. And what what we were to learn was that God is always developing faith. And the Bible says that the trial, that is the testing of your faith, is much more precious than gold that perishes. Not the faith itself, but the trying of the faith. Now, it just happens that this is the area where God tries me. Other people may never be tried in financial ways, but God may try you with children that are not converted. God may try you with problems in the... There could be a thousand things. But the thing is, God will develop faith in the life of his people. And as a body, we're meant to instruct one another, and your story of God's provision into your situation will encourage me, hopefully, in the same way as God's provision into my life as part of the body of Christ is meant to minister to your life and to strengthen you as a believer and as also you being my brother or sister in Christ Jesus. And so we went along to live in a new home, and, and again, a similar thing. We dropped off a ledge, bills come in, and it seemed as though God had forgotten about us. And again, we took to prayer in a new way, and we prayed and done. Again, the fasting was more, more to do with a lack of appetite than, than fasting, but nevertheless, that's what we did. My wife panicked a bit, and she says, I think we're going to have to sell the house. I really did drop that day whenever she said to me, I think we'll have to sell the house, because I didn't know what to do at that stage with two or three children. And so I said to her, no, 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 it couldn't be. God, God, God does unusual things, but God never does stupid things. And so we began to pray more. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and told me to wait. Just wait. And so we prayed and we waited. And bills came and we just waited. And then all out of the blue, a car arrived at our home one night. And a gentleman came. I thought he had come to see me about problems in his family. I'd met him in missions in the past, but I didn't know him that well. And I thought, oh, I don't feel like counselling anybody because I feel so drained myself. But nevertheless, come in and we chatted and he sat for a couple of hours. I thought, you better get round to this problem quick because if you don't, I'm ready for bed. And I'm so tired. But I couldn't tell the man to go to bed. But anyway, he stayed a while and then he didn't have a problem. He just stood up. And he walked over to the mantelpiece. I can still see him in my mind's eye. And he walked over with a piece of paper and he dropped it in behind the clock. And he said, I was in the shower this evening and God spoke to me. And God told me to come to your house tonight and to give that to you. Maybe he says you need a holiday. I remember thinking, that's some word of prophecy, holiday. But anyway, out he went. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. 
And I wasn't long till I got in behind the clock, I can tell you. I pulled the clock out, and there was a crisp check with enough money to cover every bill that was outstanding. And the Lord could get his amount as well. That happened in that home. We moved again, and we arrived at a site. And I began to pray, my wife and I, because let me tell you something. God knows the desires of our heart. And just because we're Christians, it, we should never have a love for money. And we should never have a love for material things. But God can give us things that we don't expect. God can do that because God is good. He is good. And I have been surprised, I have to say, over the years, some of the things that God has given me, again, when I was in Bible college, I remember the late Dr. Colin Peckham, who had lived by faith all his life with his wife. I remember him telling us as students, he said, you know, he said, when you give up everything to follow the Lord, and you choose just to follow him, he said, you often go without things. There's things you don't have. And you, God knows about that, you know about it, but that's it, you know, God knows. But he says you do that because you want to follow him, and you leave it all in his hands. But then he said, this is what happens. When you least expect it, God will just give you something that if you had worked all your life, you couldn't have got it. He'll just give it to you. My friends, that is true. That is true. I have really honestly nothing. But God has just given me things. And, and if people say, if they came, I have a beautiful home tonight. But if people say to me, I say, listen, that's literally, that's not my house. That's, that is really God's house. God is paying the mortgage for that place. And I'm glad to open it that people came for ministry. There's a prayer meeting every week in it. People come for counsel. I'm so happy to do that because it's not mine. But I really didn't expect to have that. But God just kindly... Now, he could easily have not... And listen, he could easily call me tonight when I go to bed. And he could say, Alan, I want you in China. And the house will be gone. That'll be it. And I might be in a wee hut the rest of my life. I don't think that's going to happen. But if God said that, that's what I would be willing to do. So you can have things, but they shouldn't have your heart. It should be the Lord who's first and second and third. And these things can be there, but they don't take up the love of your soul. You can do without them. And we began to pray, my wife and I, we loved the home we were in, but we began to pray. Now, during all this time, by the way, just in case you think we were just, you know, uh, just praying about houses all the time. In the meantime, we were doing missions and meetings and things, and thank God people were getting saved. And that, that's very important, and I'm going to come to that at the end. Now, Stephen told me tonight I could go on to a quarter past 11. He did honestly say that to me. I promise you I'm not going to do that, nor even near it, I promise I'm, I'm aware of the clock. But we began to pray because we were both from the country. I was brought up not far from here on a farm. My wife was brought from the Isle of Lewis, Isle of Harris, a very wild place, just beside the, the, um, what they call the Minch. It's a big open sea where she lived, and her parents are still there. And I began to pray, and I began to pray, and I prayed for one year every day, Lord, 
I would love to live in the country, but if it's not your will, then Lord, don't let it happen because I don't want to miss your will. I want to do your will. But I'm asking you about it, Lord. If it was possible, if it was in your will, if it wasn't going to harm me spiritually, Lord, I would like to live in the country. And after a year, suddenly God began to move. And I ended up getting a site. I sold my house and got a site. Well, I'm not going to the details, but when we got the site, it finished up. By the time we'd all our bills paid off, that was all we could afford was a site. I couldn't have bought a brick. I couldn't have bought a brick. And the only thing I managed to do was to get the plans done for the house, got them pulled together, and I used to buy a bag of li lime. The men will know, bag of lime. Use the lime for going around the sight lines where the house was laid out. That was all I could afford. I just went down. I used to think I was doing something to build the house when I would go around with the lime and I would pour it around. I think this is, you know, regret. That was all I could afford. And then I said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a mortgage. And so began to think about getting a mortgage, and again, listen carefully. The Holy Spirit said to my spirit, no, you can't do that. I said, Lord, please don't do this to me. I said, Lord, you know we need money for to build this house. You, you know, you've led us here, you've opened the door, you got us the sight, we can see your hand and everything. The Lord just went quiet, no. And I knew that I couldn't even go to the bank as much as I wanted to. Now, people don't understand that when you talk like that. And sadly, many Christians don't understand when you talk like that. And that's because they have never really known the Holy Spirit communicating to them in their heart. That doesn't come just immediately when you're converted. But the voice of God, my friend, as you get close to him, you get to know his voice. He speaks differently to different Christians, but you get to know his voice. You get to know it. And, and that was what he said. Well, I began to get frustrated, and I prayed and prayed, and nothing was happening. And then one night, my wife and I had talked it over, and she said to me, I'm getting embarrassed talking to the women at the school because they're all building houses, and they're all saying, how's yours getting on? And she says, what am I to say to them? I says, well, you may just tell them that you're buying lime at the moment and putting it around the site. And so she didn't go for that one. So one night while I was in bed, I couldn't sleep, and I was talking this over with God. I said, God, I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. Why have you me sitting here? I sold my house. I'm sitting in a, in a narrow place and can't build. And I've got a, what good's a piece of a field? And just like that, again, again, just like that, the Lord spoke. Now, when I say the Lord spoke, I meet Christians and everything, if they go, if they go to get their breakfast, God's speaking to them. You know, it's cereal. Do you want ice krispies and God's... I'm afraid it doesn't work like that with me. Just occasionally in my life, God has really spoken to me. Just occasionally. But God said to the, these two words to me, Jehovah Jireh. I knew immediately what they meant. It means the Lord will provide. I said to God that night, I have it written in my Bible, I have the date and all in it. I wrote, I said to God that night in my bed, I said, God, if I've got it right, if that really was you speaking to me and I haven't missed it, then if the house is built, as I think what you're saying to me, then I'll call it Jehovah Jireh. And I did. There's a plaque at my house. You go in, it's called Jehovah 
Jireh. The Lord will provide. So that happened that night. The following night, we went to a meeting. There was a little lady. I done her funeral not that long ago. Her and her husband both they passed away. And Hugh and Pat Logan, they were wonderful people, full of the Holy Ghost. Boy, could they pray. When that couple prayed, I can tell you, they brought God down and the house down with it. They were mighty. And the following night after I preached in a meeting, when it was over, Pat, the lady who was a housewife, she knew as much about building as I knew about snipe shooting, which was zero. And she came to me in a panic and she says, Alan, I need to speak to you tonight. I thought her sons were in trouble. She had sons she was praying for. I said, absolutely, Pat. We went in. She came in and she was about 70 years of age, just a housewife. And she says, Alan, I have seen your house. I said, I beg your pardon. She said, aren't you going to build a house? I said, well, that's what we're hoping for. She said, I have seen it. Oh, now it's not every day that happens. Not to me anyway. She said, there are six windows on the top floor. Four on the bottom. There's trees down the right-hand side. She, in detail, told me the site and the house and the location and the layout. And only I and one other had ever seen the plans which were sitting at home. And it was identical. She told me what the house was to be used for. She told me what God had told her what his purpose for was for the house, that it was his and that he had a plan for it. And here's the big crescendo that this little woman that knew nothing about it came into me the following night after me hearing God saying, Jehovah Jireh, the following night that little lady came into me and she said, by the way, God told me to tell you not to worry. He's going to provide it. I was excited getting home. That had to be God. That's not coincidence. All that. And when we went home, told my wife, then we waited. And we waited with expectation, Lord. And I can remember coming home from meetings and missions, and I would go onto the site, and I would walk around it. And I would walk around and I would say, Lord, I thank you for the walls. I thank you for the roof. I thank you for the tiles. I thank you for the bathroom. I thank you for the kitchen. Thank you. And this little lady triggered that because she told me that night before she left, this little lady who's now in the glory, and what rewards will fall to that little lady in glory? I tell you what a life she lived. And she said to me that night, she triggered that praying. She said to me, Alan, from this day forward, I want to tell you, I'm praying for every bag of cement. I'm praying for every block, every brick. She went through it. And she did it. And months passed and nothing happened. The Bible says ye have need of patience after ye have done the will of God. God may tell you he's going to do something. It may be a long time before it'll happen. You've got to learn to trust him and keep praising him that he's going to keep his word. And, and, and he'll keep it alive in you. If it's from him, if it's from the Holy Ghost, it'll stay alive in you. You won't have to be grappling to keep that word alive. It'll stay part of you. When God speaks to you through his word, his word is like a magnet to your soul and it sticks to you and it'll be with you till the day you go to glory. It'll never leave you, the word of the Lord. And several months passed. 
and a car arrived at the home. A man got out and came to us and he said, I want to talk to you. My wife went to make him a cup of tea. He said, don't be making a cup of tea. We were expecting bad news from him. He said, God told me to come and see the two of you. Very good. He said, I'm going to do something now and I want you never to tell anybody about the details of it. And he gave us a check. And that check built two-thirds of the house. My dear friends, God's alive. God's alive. Say, I said at the beginning, Alan, why are you a Christian? This is just a few of the reasons why I'm a Christian. Because I have proved in my own personal life that God is exactly who he says he is. God does exactly what he says he does. That's why. Well, let's come toward a close. Let's tell a funny one. Do you want to hear a funny one? When we moved into the house, my daughter had took ill. We didn't have enough money to furnish it. So, as most people do, you just work with what you have. But my daughter was ill and I wanted a wee carpet on her floor because she was in a wheelchair and so on and whatever. So I got in touch with a fellow that I knew, a Christian guy, and I said, listen, can you get me carpet for the room? He said, you'd be better to get a roll for to do the house a bit cheaper. I said, I couldn't afford that. That, that can't be done. I says, just one. Well, he says, what these people that I know, he says, they'll give you a couple of strips of the carpet. They'll put them in and they'll leave the roll and then you can pay it all. And I says, well, that's, are you sure? that? Yeah, that's happy. I said, that's good. So the guy came and he put in the first wee carpet. And I was terrified that night that he would maybe ask me for money. So I didn't have the money and I had been praying before I'd done this. I'm leaving out gaps of time and all, but I'd left it a good while. I decided and took the courage, I'll get a carpet for this child. So I rang and the boy said, right, he's coming to put the carpet in. And the boy came and I had been praying for weeks and end. Oh God, please send money to pay this boy. It could be a couple of hundred pounds for this carpet. Send the money, Lord. But nothing came. Well, food came and that, but you know, you had to eat your food. But there was no money for the carpet. Wouldn't, wouldn't, no money would stick. You know the men, what it's like. The money won't stick when you have a wife. The money just, as I often say when we got married, we had, a joint, uh, we had a joint checkbook, and I have never seen it since, 30 years ago. Never seen never saw the cover of it. But boy, when the bank account comes in, I, I see it then. Anyway, whenever this carpet came, and the man laid it. I was terrified that he was going to ask me. But thankfully he didn't. I said, you know, I had to be, you know, kind of polite and said, well, do I owe you for that now? Hoping inside that he wouldn't say yes. I said, do, he, says, he says, no, no, no. He says, the rest, you get it all. I says, that's great. Get it all together. That's great. So a year and a half passed. I'm praying for a year and a half for carpet. Lord, please send, the, I have to pay for the 200 pounds. You know, you have to pay your bills. You have to pay your bills. You have to treat people right. And so I, I felt bad about it and I was praying and the Lord wouldn't bring the money. He brought money for everything else but there was no money gathering up and I prayed about it for about a year and a half and I felt so embarrassed about it. And so what I did was one day I went over to see the boy that originally I'd asked about getting. He had got the carpet from someone else. So I went into him and I had to see him about something else. He says, by the way, did you ever get the household carpeted? 
Oh, here, I wasn't expecting that coming up. I says, no, no, I haven't got around to doing that. He says, why not? I says, we're still doing bits of painting and all. Well, that was half true. It wasn't the whole truth, but I didn't want to tell him that I was on the hook with the money. I says, oh, hi, we're doing a bit of painting and stuff. He says to me, have you no money? I says, I have no money. He says to me, how long have you been hanging on to that carpet? I says, about a year and a half. He says, that's ridiculous. I says, well, I'm really sorry, you know, but... He says, I'm almost certain that carpet's paid for. The whole roll. I says, but you, should, you shouldn't have done that. He says, I didn't do it. Well, I says, who did? He says, I have no idea. I have no idea. But he says, I'm pretty certain that carpet's paid for. He says, I'll get on the phone to the boy. He rang the boy. Boy says to him, oh, I'm so glad. He says, that carpet's in the road. It has sat. We've rolled it about from one side of the place to the other for a year and a half. He says, what is wrong with that man? He says, what is the problem? Well, he says, is it paid for? He says, it's paid for a year and a half ago. A man came in and paid for that. To this day, I have no idea who done that. And there was me pleading with God, Lord, please send the money, and the carpet was already paid for. Do you know what the Bible says? Before you call... I will answer. <laughs> God already had the thing paid for. Do you know the wonderful thing about God is that he never does the same thing twice. He's always doing it different. And that's the lovely thing about him. You kind of get him into a box initially when you prove God in a way. You tend to think, oh, well, that's the way I'll get God. And then you discover he won't do it the same way again. He does it a new way. He's the God of the new thing. He loves doing new things. Well, friends, I'm closing, and you've listened so well. You say, Alan, where does that all lead to? Well, at the very beginning, when God first began to move in my life way back 30-something years ago, God put something in my heart that has never left it since. It has waned at times, but it always keeps coming back with power, and I know it's from the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you what it is. It's revival in Ireland. And my friends, what, why what I have told you encourages me is because if God is faithful in fulfilling his word and keeping his promises regarding an old house and regarding a few pounds, do you think that God will not be faithful regarding the souls of men and regarding the need of eternal souls and people? Well, Many years ago, God gave me promises, and I'm not going to go into that tonight, but God gave me promises way up in the wee whole hall up here in, Liz, in, 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 in the lifeboat way back of it, marked in my Bible here, the date. If God speaks to you, make sure you keep a note of it, because the day will come when it'll be fulfilled, and you'll look back and you'll say, look at all the time it took, but God kept his word. God stayed faithful. He never failed me. And so, my dear friends, here's what has happened over those years regarding revival. I have found that the Holy Spirit keeps in my heart and in my spirit a longing and a desire and a hungering and a yearning for a move of the Holy Spirit in the land. 
He has left me with a deep dissatisfaction with anything that's going on today in the church, whether it be a big event or big praise or big this or big that. I'm really, generally speaking, not particularly interested in any of it because I want to see God at work. I'm tired of watching men. I'm tired of listening to big men and big voices and big things. I want to see God at work. I want to see his presence descending so that men are out of the picture. That's what I want, and that's what I desire. And over the years, God gave me promises, and then what he has done is confirmed them over and over again. And one of the things that has happened so much, and with this I'm closing, one of the things that has happened so much right up to a few weeks ago I meet people, Christians, who are in touch with God, and some of them I know and some of them I don't. And they come to me and they tell me, God showed me what he's going to do with you. God has shown me what's going to happen. God has shown me regarding revival. And those things come from different sources, from people that don't know each other. But you see, God has a wonderful way of coming to encourage your faith and encourage your heart and to remind you that he's on the throne. And so, dear friends, I believe and I pray and I yearn and long for that my fellow countrymen in Ireland, both north and south, in the 32 counties, will come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I pray that God will break into the Roman Catholic uh, tradition and that many Roman Catholics, especially in the south, that have never heard the gospel, never knew about the redeeming love of Christ, that they could be saved and forgiven, that God will save them. And it's wonderful to hear in recent years and weeks, and as I say in our own prayer meeting, that's our focus, is revival, and there to see people and hear stories of people all over Ireland, little groups, little pockets of people that are, were Roman Catholic, and they have come to know Christ, and they're pleading with God for revival. Little fires, little fires burning here and there, little flames and little pockets, in different parts of every county. Oh, my friends, I believe that God will hit those little fires. I believe the oil will be poured upon them. I believe it will become a great, mighty flame. And as Duncan Campbell uh, prophesied in the 1960s, that there will be riots and then there will be revival. And so that is the theme, that is the thrust that is the longing, that is the breath of my spirit. And I close. Would it finish just with revival? Well, my friends, I remember going, and I promise this is me closing. I remember going to the Isle of Lewis, and there was a man whose nickname was Paddy, Caldwell Dara's father-in-law. And he had mentored my wife when she became a Christian in her teens or early 20s when she was converted. He mentored her, mentored her. And he was in the Lewis Revival and a good friend of Duncan Campbell. And he always told us about the revival. Every year we went over, we would go to his home and he would share this, that, and the other of what God had done. And then he took ill. He took a bad cough and it turned out to be cancer. And I can remember we went in to visit Paddy in the hospital. 
And he said to us when we went in, he said, you know, a few fellows from England were in to see me. They wanted to talk to me about revival and the revival in the Hebrides. But he said, that's behind me now. I'm looking for something better. I'm waiting for heaven now. And I can remember leaving the ward, and I turned around, and my wife was crying, and she said, I'll not see him again. I'll not see him again. And she didn't. But you see, friends, we can have all these longings, and it's good to have longings from God for his purposes on earth. But the most wonderful thing is one day we will see Jesus. One day we'll be in heaven. One day we'll escape sin and devil and all that has gone on in this wicked and vile place we call earth. What a hope we have. What a hope. What a hope. Do you know Jesus? I trust you do. From the youngest little child to the oldest. I want to commend to you tonight. And I want heaven to bear witness to me as I look to heaven. I want heaven and the angels to bear witness that I have attempted to exalt Jesus. I have ex attempted to lift the one who sits on the throne of heaven and that he is the love of my life and it is my intention by his grace to love him until my last breath and then to go and be with him. I hope those desires are yours as well. Let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the help of the Holy Spirit. And I thank you, Lord, for the witness that the Holy Spirit gives to truth. And I pray for every person tonight, Lord, in whatever, wherever they are, that God will speak into their lives, encouraging them really helping them to, to seek the Lord, to love the Lord, to give all to the Lord. Oh, Father, please do that and save souls. In Jesus' name, amen.